over to the book of James. We're going to be in the book of James this morning. James chapter number 1. James chapter number 1. Young people sit up nice, straight, and tall. Listen closely. We're going to dive into God's Word together this morning and uh, see what the Lord has for us. I've enjoyed so much our study through the book of James as we began just a few weeks ago. And now we find our way in James chapter number 1. Look with me if you would. We're going to read a couple of verses here and then we'll ask for the Lord's help together. Look with me at verse number 9. The Bible says this. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. But the rich, in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Let's ask for the Lord's help this morning, and then we're going to dive into the scriptures together. Father, thank you for the opportunity you give us to be able to meet together, to be able to worship you. I thank you, God, for the time that we've already had in worship. God, as we've lifted up your name, we've praised you, and God, it really is, it's all for your glory, it's all for your, your, the fact that you're worthy, and I pray, God, today that, that in every part of this service, God, that, that we would just bring you honor and we'd bring you glory, and now, Lord, as we, as we dive into your word, as we focus on really the pinnacle and the moment that we've been building to, Lord, focusing our hearts on what the scriptures say, I pray now that you would speak to each and every heart. Lord, that you move in our midst in an unusual way, that your Holy Spirit would have the freedom, Lord, to, to work as only he can. I pray, God, that for some that are here maybe this morning that, that are going through some things, that today they'd find comfort for, for others, Lord, that, that maybe are just calloused, Lord, to your word, that they'd be softened. And I pray, God, that if there's somebody here that doesn't know your son, Jesus Christ, and if they've never accepted him as their personal Savior, they don't know for sure that they're on their way to heaven, I pray today that they get that settled. God, we thank you for this time. We pray now that you bring our hearts into captivity, our minds and our thoughts into captivity, that we focus in on your word here for just a few moments. And we pray all of this in your son, Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, last week, uh, I, I was able to, to share with you that, that my parents were here, and it was a blessing to have my parents with us this last week and, and uh, get to spend some time with them and things like that. But one of the days, whenever they were here, we walked down by the river. Actually, uh, Tressa was up. She was cleaning the loft there at our house, and she looked out, and she saw a couple of moose uh, that were across the river. And my parents have never gotten to see a moose up close. And so uh, she, she saw the moose, and, and she sent a text and said, hey, listen, there's a couple of moose down there, which is kind of unusual this time of the year. Usually they're up higher and things like that. We don't, we don't see them as much. And, and she saw it. She said, hey, there's a couple of moose across the river. And so my dad got to climb up, and he got to see it. And, and then he called my mom and said, hey, you guys need to go down, and, and, and we need to go check this out, go see it. And so, we, we, of course, we got the kids together and everything. And, and we all walked down there by the river and went down there. Of course, by the time we got there, um, you know, with all the talking and things that was going on on the way there with the kids, uh, the moose were gone. But uh, it, was, uh, it, was a good, uh, it was a good try, right? And uh, as we were there by the river, my dad looked down in the river and he said, whoa. He said, Kyle, do you see all these fish here? And I'm looking down the road. I'm like, I can't. I don't see anything. It just looks like water. He said, no, do you, right, right there, you can't see. He said, there's one like that, and there's, there's one like that, and there's another one like this. And you're saying, where do you live, Kyle? Listen, they're carp, okay? So you don't, it does, it, you don't want to come over and fish them, all right? But, but nonetheless, he's seen all these, these fish. And, I, and I'm looking, and I'm dead. I can't see anything. What are you talking about? I thought he was losing his mind. And, uh, and he says, no, he said, oh, hold on. And so he took his glasses off, and he gave me his glasses, and he had some of these polarized sunglasses and when I put those on all of the sudden 
fish were everywhere. It was amazing. I mean, they were, they were right there. And I, I thought, I started thinking myself, I wonder if this works for hunting as well, you know? And maybe that's what I need is just a special pair of sunglasses and then I'll be able to see uh, those things that I can't see with the natural naked eye, right? And, and, uh, and so, you know, it was, it was amazing. It all, it, all the difference came from my perspective, right? You know, when I didn't have the, his glasses on, I, I couldn't see them. But once I put the glasses on, I could see clearly. You know, as we've worked our way here through the book of James in these first eight verses, we, we've talked about how really from the very beginning, James is writing to these tribes that were scattered abroad and, and as they were facing persecution and all these different things that were, were going against them and their lives had been completely upturned and, and, and just, I mean, totally, many of them, their lives completely destroyed. And, and as they're going through all these things, we, we saw just a couple weeks ago about how we were challenged to have wisdom, to have, have insight about, about those trials. How, how, how they could have wisdom and insight, how they could take those trials and use them for God's glory. But we saw that we needed faith. They needed faith that, that God is still God regardless of, of how God would use them to glorify them in those trials because we understood that that for some of them God might use them for his glories not by by deliverance but by death and sometimes it's not easy to go through trials whenever we find out that maybe the answer to our deliverance is not the answer that we were hoping for We've all probably been there. We, we prayed, Lord, will you, will you deliver someone? Will you deliver this family member from this sickness that they have? Maybe you've had somebody that had cancer and you prayed, Lord, will you deliver them from this cancer? Will you heal them? And, and one day you wake up and you get the answer, but it wasn't the answer you were hoping for. Yeah, they were delivered, but it wasn't deliverance on this earth. No, they, they were delivered with a new body as they went into heaven. We talked about how sometimes we need wisdom, insight, as we pray and, and, and say, God, even, even though it may not be the way that I expect, God, I hope we still have faith. And now as we keep on going, James comes to verses 9 through 11, and he, what, he, what he does here is he really gives some perspective. He really kind of pulls back, and, and while someone would look at verses 9 through 11 and say, well, it's a separate thought, the truth is, is it, it, all, it all flows together, and what he's doing here is he's giving us some, some, some insight, some perspective on, on what he's been teaching, what he's been talking about. It's, it's not a change of thought. No, no, it's an expounding, a, a comfort that James gives to those that were scattered abroad, to, to the ones that had lost their homes, to those that ha- had seen loved ones be martyred for the cause of Christ, to, to some that were facing very trials James gives comfort he gives hopes and he sets their mind's eye on a different perspective one of the hardest things to do in in human life is to deal with the trials that we're given it's far easier to complain and to murmur about the things that we're facing isn't it may smile at church and say everything's good when somebody asks us, but in reality, when we go home and the doors are closed, it's when the true emotions come out, true feelings, it's true moments of, God, where are you? Sometimes we need to, to change our, our viewpoint, our perspective, adjust the lens that we're viewing through. That's exactly what, what James does here. He gives an example. Verse number 9, he says this. He says, let the brother of low degree rejoice 
in that he is exalted. He begins by giving us the perception of the poor man. The perception of the poor man. There's no question in the rising persecution that was surrounding these young believers that many of them would have fled from their homes quickly and and left pretty much everything behind. I mean, to be called a a Christian in this first century was at best a career ender, a career destroyer, and at worst a death sentence. Successful businessmen were now reduced to nothing just because they were followers of Christ. Some that were just scraping by to begin with now found themselves going days maybe without nourishment. They understood what it meant to be poor. That's what the Bible says here when it talks about the brother of low degree. It's referring to somebody that's of, of, of low, uh, low income, low, low ability. To, to be poor, that's what he's talking about here. That, that somebody that, that was in this place where they had nothing. I, I remember one time that I made the mistake... We were, we were in, in a, in a, uh, in a uh, I don't remember, in a store, and, and we were looking through some things, and I think maybe I was looking through some clothes or something, and, and I remember walking over to a rack, and, and I was one of those, okay, you got different types of kids, right? I was the kid growing up that asked for everything when you were in the store, okay? You know, and, uh, and mom, mom, before we'd go in, she, she shares this all the time, she said, you know, before we'd go into the store, she'd sit there and say, Kyle, we have money for certain things. We can't just buy things today. So don't ask me for things. Well, of course, that didn't stop me, okay? You know, and so, you know, I would still ask, but, uh, you know, as a young, as a, as just a little kid, you know, you go through the store, you want all the toys, and you want all the things, right? You ask for everything, and mom, no, 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 right? And stop asking. And uh, when I got a little bit low, a little bit older, and I, I was a teenager, I'll never forget it, we were in a store one day, and, and I, was, I was maybe 12, 13 years old, maybe, and, and I remember I was in the store, and I grabbed a shirt or, or something off the rack, and I said, Mom, I said, can we get this? And she said, Kyle, we can't get that. We just don't have the money to buy that right now. And I made the mistake. I said this. I said, man, I just wish we weren't so poor. Oh, man, you talk about lighting a fire, okay? (laughs) Oh, man. My mom, I'll never forget, she looked at me. She said, you want to know what it means to be poor? And I was like, oh man, you talk about wrath of God. It was terrifying, okay? One of those things. I mean, like all of a sudden, like my mom, like her eyes were completely black. And it was just like, you know, but I mean, it was, it was scary. I mean, it was one of those ones where, where you know, uh, the truth is we have no idea what it means to be poor. We, we don't understand. Here in America, we don't. In fact, I was looking up some statistics this week. They say that a quarter of the earth's population lives on less than $3 a day. Two-thirds of the world lives on about $10 a day. That's about $300 a month. I can't feed my family for like a week on that. We have no idea what it means to be poor. But these believers, you can mark it down, that James was writing to, they, they understood completely. They understood what it meant to have something and to have everything taken away from you. They understood what it meant to, to one day maybe to have a nice home that they lived in, to, to have a nice chariot in the, in the driveway, right? To, to have the things and to have everything taken away. They knew what it meant to be of low degree, as the Bible says. And in a reminder, a recall back to verse number 2, when James said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. James reminds them of a wonderful promise in verse number 2. He says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. 
You know what James was saying here? He, he was looking at these believers and he was telling them this. Hey, listen, I want to remind you of a wonderful promise. Even though you're at the bottom, even though you're scraping the bottom of the barrel and you've got nothing and you don't know what you're going to do and you don't know where the next meal's coming from, even though you're in a place where everything's been torn away from your life, he says, even though in your place, I got, a, I got something to remind you of. I want you to know one day it's not going to be like that anymore. One day, you're going to be exalted, he says. And so many times we want that to happen on this earth, but oftentimes it doesn't come until one day when we're in his presence. Romans 8, verse number 18 says, For I reckon, Paul writes, I like that, I reckon, that's a good southern word, that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In 1 John 3, verse number 2, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In Matthew chapter number 23, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and in verse number 11, he says, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. You're going to be brought low. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. But he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. James reminded them that while they were scurrying around in the dust of the earth just trying to save their very lives, they could rejoice that one day, one day, there was going to be victory in Jesus. One day, all that, that stuff that was taken from them. Oh, listen, they may have lost a lot of things, a lot of stuff, but it couldn't take their soul. Uh, they, they might have lost some family members, but nothing could touch their eternity. Their very life could be taken, but their salvation would not be shaken. And James says, though you may be poor by this world's standards, Jesus promises in John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse number 9, Paul writes, For ye know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through his poverty, might be rich. Oh, listen, if you know Christ is your Savior, rejoice in that. The day of your glorification and exaltation is coming. That's what James is writing to them. He says, listen, even though you may be in your lowest state, even though you may be poor and have nothing, oh, you got something to rejoice about because one day the exaltation is coming. One day you're going to be in his presence. And you're going to realize it was worth it all. Christian, today I wonder, do you spend any time rejoicing in your salvation? I mean, really think about it. We, we know what we're supposed to say, right? How we're supposed to respond. But when's the last time that you really rejoiced in your salvation? Hey, listen, I'm thankful whenever we sing, sing songs here at the church that minister to our hearts. Oh, man, that, that last song, is, is it is well with my soul. I hope you could say that, and I hope you could sing it from your heart, and I hope it, it touched a chord here. You say, Kyle, you're all about feelings. No, I'm not all about feelings. But sometimes it's nice to feel what you're standing on. 
I just wonder, I mean, I, I mean it's, as I'm singing the song and God's ministering to my heart and, oh God, thank you because of what you did for me. It is well for, with my soul. When's the last time that you rejoiced in your salvation? See, everyone in this room comes from a different story or a different background. Listen, we could go through this room and we could talk about people that came from, from the pit and we could talk about people that have never, don't even know what the pit is, okay? We, I mean, every, every different uh, schemes, every different ways of life in this room. I was talking with Caleb yesterday. Caleb, uh, I'll introduce him later. Caleb's a, a brother-in-law and, and uh, he, he's an assistant pastor down in, 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 in Wyoming and, and he was sharing with me about how their church is just full of a bunch of murderers and convicts. I said, I don't think I'm going to come visit you. So, no, he said they got a few of them. But, uh, you know, hey, listen, uh, there's... People come from all different backgrounds, all different circumstances, and everybody's testimony is special. But can I tell you this? It doesn't matter if God pulled you up out of drugs or if you were a good kid that went to Sunday school every Sunday. Can I help you understand this? It doesn't matter where your story came from. Every single person is on their way to a devil's hell for all of eternity. Every single person is on their way to spend eternity in a lake of fire. In fact, I think a lot of times the kids that get raised up in church sometimes struggle more with understanding that than the ones that come out of the pit. Why? Uh, Because these over here say, well, I'm doing pretty good. And these over here, when you point to them, they say, yeah, my life was pretty screwed up. I mean, that's just the way that it is. But listen, every single person, listen, they need salvation. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, who your parents are. It doesn't matter what religion you were raised in. Understand this. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And every single person is on their way to a like of fire to burn for all of eternity. You were condemned, you were convicted, and you were justly sentenced. But the Bible tells us, but God commended his love toward us. Romans 5.8. He demonstrated it. He showed it to us in that while we were yet sinners, even though you were over here, even though you were over here, no matter which way you were, where you were at, even though you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He died for us. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, eternity in a lake of fire. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, friend, you did not make a 180 when you got saved. You did not turn over a new leaf when you got saved. You didn't just change some things when you got saved. Listen, God picked you up out of that pit and he put you on a solid rock of Jesus Christ. There was nothing that you could do in yourself. When is the last time that you rejoiced about that? Because we get real easy getting real comfortable and real calloused in our Christianity. Sometimes we face trials difficulties, hard times. And in our life, we get so distracted by that, we forget about what God has delivered us from and how good He is. James says it's in those moments where you need to stop and rejoice. In the midst of those trials, it won't always be that way. No, one day, every tear will be wiped away. See, there'll be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness. No more pain. No more partying over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day. Glorious day that will be. Hey, listen, if it's been a while, why don't you look up to the author and the finisher of your faith and rejoice in the gift that he has given to you. James was helping these young believers, these new Christians. He was helping them to reset their perspective that in the midst of the trials that they were going through, Oh, God's still good. 
God has given you so much. And you have so much to rejoice over. Rejoice! Listen, your exaltation's coming. He begins by giving that perspective of the poor man. Listen, I only got two points in the message this morning. I'm not even a good Baptist preacher. You're usually supposed to have three. Okay? I only got two. The perspective of the poor man. And then he flips the page and he gives us the perspective of the rich man. The rich man. J- James turns the attention to the other end of the spe- spectrum. The rich man. Look at verse number 10. He says, but the rich, in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Well, there were some that were wondering where their next meal was going to come from. There, there were others that had food enough to despair. So, some that were living on the run and others that were pillowing their heads in, in their home that had been passed down for generations. But before we think that James is condemning those that had money and promoting a Robin Hood take from the rich and give to the poor mentality, that isn't his point here, okay? That's not what he's saying. James is pointing to just how fleeting those riches are in a person's life. He he gives an object lesson to to help us. As kids we and adults too, we we enjoy object lessons. When somebody brings something up and they they, something different and you look at it, oh, what is that? And sometimes whenever I I appreciate camps and things like that, sometimes I'll I'll go and I'll get a basketball because I I enjoy basketball and I'll talk about basketball and I'll bounce it around, spin on my finger, do different things with it. And the kids, oh, you know, they're really I mean their attention is just peaked with that. And object lessons are good. That's what Jesus does, or that's what James does here. He gives us an, an object lesson. He says, listen, there, there are times of the year in the Middle East where, where there was grass that would grow up and the flowers would bloom and, and it would be beautiful. I mean, you look at the grass, I mean, just the green and the beautiful flowers. He says, but all of a sudden there'd be this, this wind that would blow in from the east or, or from the south that would blow. And he said, it was just this wind that had this exceeding heat. He said, you'd wake up in the morning, the grass would be green, the flowers would be blooming, and by midday... It'd be withered away. It'd be gone. It'd just totally just disappear. That's, that's what would happen. Kind of like what happens here in Montana. Okay? You know? I mean, we, we all remember. I mean, like, it seems like a long time ago. But, like, you know, like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, the grass was green and the rivers were high. And we were all walking around saying, man, I love this cool weather. And now I'm preaching in a tie and I'm about to suffocate. Okay? I mean, that's just, that's what happens. I mean, like, now everything's brown and dead. And I pulled up my, an app yesterday and I looked at my phone and there's fires everywhere. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of what he's talking about here. He says, listen. It's there for a little while, and then it's gone. It's gone. James points to, to the person with riches. He says, don't glory in the things you possess. But just like the, the poor man reje- rejoices in the fact that he's going to be, not, not, not in what he has or does that, but one day he's going to be exalted in the presence of God. He says, don't rejoice in what you have on this earth. Because it can just pass away. No, rather rejoice in the humility of a life in Christ. Find your joy not in stuff, but in the Savior. The, the words of Christ ring out so clear as he's on the, on the, the mount preaching his sermon. In Matthew 6, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Don't rejoice 
in the things you've acquired. Rejoice in the giver of those things. Hey, we'll get to it here in just a couple of weeks. But, but James kind of gives us a little bit of a perspective on this just a couple verses later. In James 1.17, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh, is, is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He says, everything good, everything that you have in your life is from God. But listen, 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 listen. The problem is not in the having of stuff. The problem for the rich man. It's not that he has things. That's not what James is pointing. He's not saying, listen, because he has things, he's a bad person. Sometimes we get this, in our, this mentality, but that's not what he says here. No, no, no. What he says is this. He says, listen, it's not that the person has stuff. It, the problem is that the stuff has the person. Luke 12, verse number 15, he says unto them, take heed, beware of covetousness. For man's life consists not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. 1 John 2.15, we know the verse so well. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, while we may say that our confidence and trust is in the Lord, when the heat is turned up, it becomes clear where the trust really lies. Could be... That the rich man that James was talking about here was an unsaved man. Could be. Jesus was speaking a parable to his disciples in Luke chapter number 11. And in that parable he told them, he says, listen, he says, where am I at? Okay, okay, all right, here we go. I'm in completely the wrong passage. All right, Luke, Luke chapter number 11. Flip over there with me because it's not going to be on your screen. All right, Luke chapter number 11. That is the right passage. I just have the wrong verses on there. Luke chapter number 11. Am I lying to you? It's a good, those are good verses as well, but that's not the ones that I want to, want to read to you. I think I'm in the wrong place. All right, there's a story in the Bible. Let's just go with that, okay? Story in the Bible, all right. So, <laughs> in the book of Luke, the, the, Jesus is giving a, a, a story about, about a, a man. And he comes to his disciples and he tells them, he says, listen, he says, there was a man that had, had many riches, okay? And, and he'd, done, he'd done very well for himself. He'd, 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 he'd been very profitable, a very profitable year. And, and as he was very profitable with all the things that he had, he had gained, all the things that, that, that had come in, he, he looked and he said, listen, he said, I've done so well. He said, you know, he said, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this. He said, I know what I'll do. He said, I think I'm going to take my barns that I have. I'm going to tear them down, and I'm going to build bigger barns. That's what I'll do. I'll build, build bigger barns. And, and after I build uh, bigger barns, he said, then I'm going to say to myself, soul, you, you have much goods. You have everything that you need laid up for you for, for many years. Take, eat, be merry, he says. He says, the Lord comes to him and says, you fool. Don't you know that tonight, your soul is required of you. 
You know, the problem was not that he had a profitable year as a farmer. Hey, praise the Lord when you have a profitable year as a farmer. I'm thankful. We got farmers in this room, ranchers in this room. I got family that's ranchers. I mean, praise the Lord for that's a blessing whenever you have a profitable year. That wasn't the problem. It wasn't even the problem that he said, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to build bigger barns. Hey, listen, if you got a lot of, lot of uh, profitability whenever the things that you get, hey, you, you probably should store them somewhere. That, that's not the problem at all. The problem came whenever he said, well, I've got everything that I need, and I'm just going to kick back because I've got, got many years. And I'm doing pretty good because of all the stuff that I've got. Look at all my stuff. Oh, I'm just going to eat, I'm going to drink, I'm going to be married because of all the stuff that I have acquired. See, the problem was not in the wealth of crops. It was not in the building of bigger barns. It was when he trusted in what he had done. You know, it's such a cliche. We hear it said often, but you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? I mean, you just don't. Why? Because you can't take what you get with you. And if today you're trusting in what you can do to get to heaven, the day will come when the harvest will come to an end. And like the grass You will burn up for all of eternity. You know, it could be that he was talking about an unsaved person. But I think it's more than likely he was talking about somebody that was saved. Just in the context of the passage, the things that are going on here, I I really think that, that, that whenever he was talking about the rich person here, he was probably talking about somebody that did believe in Jesus Christ, that was a believer. Because the truth is, just as much as a lost and unsaved person can trust in their riches rather than Christ for salvation, so a saved man can trust in their riches for contentment rather than in Christ. Proverbs 27, verse 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. God had just gave a a great victory to Israel. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, we talked about it. Israel had walked there to the city of Jericho. Remember, we we talked about it as they, they came there, and as God gave Joshua that that incredible battle plan to destroy the city, right? I mean, it was, it was this incredible battle plan where they were going to come and overtake the city with force and with power. No, that's not what happened. They marched around the city silently for six days. And on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. And on the seventh time, they blew trumpets, they smashed pitchers, and they screamed really loud and the walls fell flat. A miracle. I mean, it was an incredible victory that God gave the, the, the people of Israel. They, they just came up with, I mean, much rejoicing, much, much joy, no doubt, had come in this time when the walls of Jericho fell flat. God, God's blessing was clearly upon the people. Their needs had been met completely. And yet when Israel tried to win the battle, their very next battle against the little city of Ai, they, they were defeated. Joshua came to the Lord. I mean, he's broken. Men had died in this battle. Lord, what's going on? What's happening here? And the Lord said, there's sin in the camp. So Joshua, he doesn't know what's going on, but he, be, he begins to, to go through it. And, and the leaders of the different tribes, he brings them before him and, and, and begins to question them. And finally, the house of, of Achan is brought before him. And Achan is standing there before For Joshua. And he tells him exactly what that sin was. 
In verse number 20 of John, Joshua chapter number 7, Achan answered and said, to Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, and 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels, wait, then I coveted them and took them. Behold, they are hid in the, midst, in the earth in the midst of the tent and the silver under it. He said, there, there I was. He said, you know, I was going through it. I mean, I know we just won this great battle and God, I mean, he's taking care of everything. But, but as I was going through, I looked over and I saw, I saw this, this garment. And it was, I mean, it was a beautiful garment. So I said, no, it's just one garment. It's not that big of a deal. You know, just, just one little thing. So I took it and I put it away. And then, then there was some silver over it. I went, I, I grabbed that and some gold and I went and grabbed that. And I, and I put it in my pockets. And then he said, I went back to my house. And he said, and in my tent. And he said, I just, I, I kind of lifted up the rug and I, 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 I hid it underneath there. I dug a little hole and I hid it there. And, and you know, and I just, I just needed a couple more, couple more things. And because of Achan's sin, not only did men die in battle, but Achan's entire family was brought out and they were stoned to death. All because he wasn't content with what God had already done. He wanted more stuff. James says, don't find your joy in the stuff you have. Because the stuff will disappear. The stuff doesn't last. Don't rejoice in those things. Oh, a poor person. Hey, listen, I know you don't have anything, but rejoice because one day you're going to be exalted in the presence of God. Oh, but rich person, you may think that you've got a love, but don't rejoice in those things because it'll fleet away. No, find your joy in God. What's he saying? He's saying this. Listen, the trials come for both. Sometimes for the, the poor person, they're in the midst of that trial. That is their trial. But listen, just the person that has much, the trial comes for them too. And, and what happens when all of that stuff's taken away? Do you point the fist at God and say, God, what have you done? Or do you... Say, God, like Job, naked I came into this world. <laughs> naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What was he saying? He said, Lord, it was all yours to begin with. There was nothing that I had to begin with. God, you gave me everything. And if you take it all away, you're still God. And you're still good. See, the point of this passage is not... If you have things, you should get rid of them and become poor, okay? Please don't take that as the, the application of the message, okay? But neither is the application that if you don't have things, that you're more godly than the person who has great wealth. That's not the application either. Sometimes we, we, we glory in our, in our pitifulness, right? You know, so, oh, yeah, well, I don't have the stuff that they have, so I just must be so much more godly. You know, uh, that's not the way that it is. Listen, every pastor, every pastor preaches on how we shouldn't be consumed with wealth, but every pastor wants a millionaire in his congregation, okay? It's just the way that it is, all right? And so uh, that's, that's, that's the way things go. But listen, no, no, no. The point, the point goes back to what we found a couple weeks ago. In trial or blessing, in poverty or in wealth, do you find your trust and contentment in God? Not in what you have or don't have. Can you say with Paul in Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know, the truth is, 
many of our greatest problems come because we have too much stuff and we want more. And the pursuit of things over our pursuit of God leaves you right where Achan was. Wanting just a little more, but finding out it'll cost you everything. Friend, this morning, can we take a lesson from Colossians chapter number 3, verse number 2? It says this, set your affections on things above, not on things Can I encourage us this morning? Some of us may be, as you go through life and, and as we, we, we see this little, kind of, kind of a little bit of a caveat that, that as James is giving us this, this, these lessons on trials and he's walking through and he, he gives us these two lives that, that are in direct opposite of each other. And the truth is, while some of us may think that we're poor, the truth is we have no idea what poor is. Most of us are, are wealthier than the majority of this world. And so the truth is most of us have way more problems on this side. It's not that, oh God, I just don't have anything, so I'm not starting. No, the truth is, is oftentimes this stuff has us. And we glory in that rather than in Christ. This morning, can we take off the glasses maybe we've been wearing? And can we put on the, you know, the polarized glasses of God's word and see a little bit clearer? And don't set our affections on the things of this earth, but set them our, our affections on, on that which is above. Set our affections on Christ. Change our viewpoint today. Rejoice. Not because of what you do or don't have. Because, but because of the one who has given you everything. Oh, there's a song that says, I've got so much to be thankful for. So much to thank you for. And you know the truth is, is that should be the theme of our life. But oftentimes instead of saying thank you Lord, we're saying God give me more. If I just had, if I, you just gave me this, then I would be happy. God says listen, it's not, it's not about if you have nothing. And it's not about if you have everything. It's about, do you have God? Because if you have God, if you know him as your savior, oh, let that man rejoice. Because one day he's going to be exalted in the presence of God. And that should be the prayer of each person in this room. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. We're going to have a time of invitation here at the end of the service. And basically what this is, is an opportunity to take what God has given you throughout the message and to be able to apply it to your life. Maybe as the message has been going on, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart and you say, you know, there's some things that God spoke to me about and I need to respond to that. Don't just sit through a message and get to the end and say, well, you know, that was nice, nice little talk and I'm glad that I came to church and I feel a lot better about myself. No, no, no. Respond to God's word. This morning, if the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart and, and pointed some things out, I hope that you'll respond to that. I hope that if you maybe pointed it and maybe you realize, you know what, some of the stuff has you. I hope you'll respond to it. Maybe as we were going through the message this morning and you realize you haven't been rejoicing in your salvation and you've been spending a lot of time complaining over all the things you don't have and all the things that are going on, but you haven't spent much time just saying, thank you, God, for who you are and what you've done for me. I hope this morning that you respond to it.
And if you're here this morning, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you don't know 100% sure that you're on your way to heaven, that if something was to happen, your life was to end right now, that you'd wake up in the presence of God. Oh, friend, you can know that today. Not because of anything this preacher can do for you, but because of what Jesus did for you when he died on that cross. Oh, listen, there are many in this room that can thank God because of the payment that Christ did because he died for them and they've received that gift. But maybe you're here and you haven't received that gift. You say, Kyle, how do I receive the gift of eternal life? How do you do something like that? Well, friend, you have to admit that I am a sinner that needs help and I can't do it on my own. The Bible says nothing that we can do. There's nothing, no good works that we could do that could gain our salvation. It's only through what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And you say, Jesus, I'm putting my full faith and trust in you and you alone. Would you save me from my sins? You say, Kyle, do I have to pray that prayer just like that? No, 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 friend. But you do have to believe that in your heart. If you truly believe that, you can pray right where you're seated. You can come talk to me after the service. I would love to be able to show you some verses so you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. In a crowd of this size, in a congregation like this, I have no doubt there are people here that don't know. I hope you'll get it settled before we leave. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, the music's going to play. Let's stand together as the music plays, and you respond to the Lord this morning. Father, bless this time now of invitation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed and with eyes closed.